Welcome back to Grit and Glitter, a weekly podcast dedicated to the power of women's wrestling. Her name is Emily Fear, and my name is Harley Arpaget. Hi! It's us, your friends. Yeah, we're here, back together again. We're here. Hi. Welcome, folks. It is the final week of August. The summer's over already. Can you believe it? Mm. Nope, I'm eating ice cream as we talk. Gotta get it in, you know, because, like, September comes and you can't eat ice cream anymore, right? Next week, it's hot chocolate only. Yeah. It's the law, folks. September 1st, put away your ice cream. Get out your hot chocolate and your pumpkin spice. This week on the show, it is the third installment of our series within a series that we call Living Legends. We conceived this earlier this year. We've had two previous installments focusing on the lives and careers of Veda Scott and Mercedes Martinez. This week, by personal request of our Patreon subscribers, we're looking at the life and career of the female fighting phenom jazz. Yeah. Now, when I conceived the idea of the Living Legends series, these sort of real in-depth, thorough, biographical, like hour and a half, we tell you everything you need to know about this person's career. I'll admit, I conceived it with the idea of only focusing on active wrestlers, telling you why these people are so great and why you need to be giving them their flowers now while they're still going. In this case, Jazz is retired. Yes. I mean, I never buy a retirement, really. Like, I, maybe maybe if she is, maybe it's for real. But I just, I don't know. Retirements in wrestling, it, it, I, I don't know. Nine times out of ten, it doesn't stick. That's true. I mean, <laughs> we'll get to it on this very episode. Jazz herself has retired and then kept wrestling more than once. Mm-hmm. So, who knows? Maybe it's not the end of her career. She hasn't wrestled in a little while. We don't know. We don't know if it's a, a hard period or just an ellipsis. Mm-hmm. But regardless, people wanted us. The people demanded. Tell us more about the woman named Jazz, and we're going to do our best. That's all we can do. That's right. The woman who would be Jazz was born Carlene Moore, August 27th, 1972, in New Orleans, Louisiana. Emily, as we record this, she just turned 50 on Saturday. Happy 50th birthday, Jazz! Just a couple days ago, she celebrated her 50th birthday. Born in 1972, a lot of parallels in her early career to Mercedes Martinez, who we covered on the last installment of Living Legends. Like Mercedes, Jazz played basketball in high school. She got a scholarship for college due to her great basketball skills and then had her promising basketball career cut short during because of a knee injury during a high school basketball game. Exactly like Mercedes. Exactly like Mercedes. I was supposed to say, she, hers was cut short during a knee injury too. Yeah, really fascinating. So promoters of today... Triple H, Tony Khan, I know you're listening to this. If you were looking for the next great women wrestlers of the 2020s and the 2030s, head down to those high school basketball gyms and look for the people sitting on the sidelines with, with injured knees. Because <laughs> they could be the next great wrestlers of tomorrow. Yes, but please make sure that those are like, you know, 
organic injuries that were sustained during the sport and you're not like waiting for them behind the gymnasium with like a crowbar ready to take out their knees. Yes. That does not we don't want a Nancy Kerrigan situation here. No, no, please. So Carlene's promising basketball career is cut short due to this knee injury that she suffers in high school. She continues to go to college for a little bit, but eventually ends up dropping out of college in order to work full time. And it's while she's training at a gym that she's approached about the idea of being a professional wrestler. She joins a wrestling school in Louisiana, but her real drive to become a wrestler, her real decision to say, like, you know what, actually, maybe I could do this. Maybe, maybe that could be me, is when she sees Jacqueline wrestle for the first time. She trains under a junkyard dog for a little bit, mostly focusing on being a valet. I mean, it's the early, mid-90s, not a lot of roles for women at this point in time. So she figures she's going to be a valet. Until she meets the wrestler Rod Price. It's Price who tells her that if she ever wants to really make it in the business, if she wants to make real money, she's going to have to wrestle. There's no money, there's no future in the valet business. And she says, all right, and starts training under Rod for about six to eight months. And she debuts on the Indies under the name Jasmine. That's J-A-Z-Z-M-Y-N. The uh, interesting spelling of the name Jasmine, that's like a 90s thing, right? That's a 100% 90s thing. <laughs> these these awkward, awkward spellings. Beyond <laughs> that, I couldn't find out why, the name ja- why she chose the name Jasmine, why it would eventually be shortened to ja- j- just jazz. Couldn't really find a lot of information on that. She's not a very, she's not a loquacious woman. Didn't do a lot of interviews back in the day. She's done a couple of more podcasts now in the past few years, but hasn't spoken a lot about her early career or about her life, in, you know, prior to the 2010s, honestly. But she debuts on the Indies in 1998 as Jasmine, and her very first match just happens to be against the woman who inspired her to be a wrestler, Jacqueline. So Jasmine does early shows for independents like Bad Boys of Wrestling out of Kansas, as well as the NWA in 1998. And it's during her very first like early year here in the NWA, where she teams with the man who would go on to be known as Rodney Mack in the WWE. After maybe a year, from when she first started training to wrestle to like actually doing matches. Summer 1998, her trainer, her friend Rod Price, signs with ECW. He comes to Jazz and he tells her that Extreme Championship Wrestling, they're doing tryouts in Louisiana and he insists that she should go. She goes to the tryouts in Louisiana and she's literally the only woman to show up. At the tryouts, they have a wrestler Jason Knight in the ring with the entire roster surrounding the ring, as if it's a lumberjack match. The entire roster is out there surrounding the ring, watching. I don't know if this is like maybe an intimidation tactic. They, they think, you know, women can't really cut in this business. We're gonna try to like scare her away or we're gonna see how tough she really is. Cause it, the, imp, the implication in the interviews I read was that this was unique to her match. Not all the other tryouts had the entire roster surrounding the ring like hers did. Yeah, that's a really intense way to to uh, audition for a promotion, especially considering you're the only woman in the building. 
you are auditioning for a promotion that does not have women wrestlers and you are, what, a year into your career? That's insane. That's the thing. ECW at this time has women like Francine and Beulah, maybe Don Marie, but they were principally valets and eye candy who maybe got thrown into a match here and there. They were not wrestlers first and foremost. ECW didn't have a women's division. They didn't have women wrestlers. So Jazz has this tryout match against Jason Knight with the entire roster surrounding the ring. Immediately after the match, she runs to the washroom and throws up. <laughs> and she, when she walks out of the stall, she finds one man gang and Sabu just laughing their asses off. <laughs> But then her friend, her trainer, Rod Price, he comes in. He tells her Paul Heyman is looking for her. She goes, she finds Heyman, and Heyman just says, where the hell did you come from? And he signs her. She's only six months into her wrestling training. She is ECW's first real female wrestler signed to the company. So Jazz makes her TV debut for ECW November of 98. And she joins this stable called the Impact Players. It's principally Justin Credible, Lance Storm, and Jason Knight, who she had her tryout match against. They're the stable called the Impact Players. Jazz joins, and, you know, she's basically playing a China role for the most part. She doesn't wrestle. She just hangs out at ringside with them. She, you know, maybe roughs up people behind the ref's back. She trips people when they're running the ropes. They're a heel group. And... Yeah, it, it definitely feels like it's very China derivative because China was huge at this time, obviously, and Jazz is also a big, muscly, intimidating woman in that way, right? Mm-hmm. So they essentially have her playing this China role for the Impact players, and that continues through the winter, through the spring. But by the summer of 1999, things have started to turn. The storylines moved in a direction where she feels like they're holding her back. She started to turn on them. She started her babyface turn. She starts wrestling Jason Knight on house shows, which are her very first matches for the company. This is all built and all set up, you know, laying the groundwork and like seeing how they are in the ring, establishing their chemistry ahead of ECW's July pay-per-view, July 18th, 1999, ECW Heat Wave. On that pay-per-view, it's Jazz's first televised match. I mean, for any promotion, obviously, the indie she wrestled for weren't televised. This was 1998. So this is Jazz's first televised match ever. Jazz versus Jason Knight. He's just going by Jason at this point. Mm-hmm. He's really looking like a Buff Bagwell kind of clone with the yeah, goatee. At that point, his uh, his tag was the self, he was self-proclaimed as the sexiest man on the planet. Um, and he was really the only Impact player that she had direct fights with. She didn't have direct matches with the other Impact players. He was the one that that they that she consistently had matches with on house shows and then eventually on Heat Wave. Yeah, it wasn't like, you know, she took care of Jason and then moved on to a feud with Lance Storm or anything, which is too bad because she, she could have learned so much from wrestling with Lance Storm, I'm sure. It's such a shame because there's so much of of this story and other stories like this that happened throughout these eras that it's like had this happened in a different wrestling landscape you could have seen some really amazing work happen and it's what a wonderful thing it is now to be able to openly address the fact that like we have women's wrestlers who are being actively trained by you know really well-known and well-regarded male wrestlers and 
and because we can be open about this, we can also be open about the fact that they benefit from like having that experience and they benefit from having those in-ring matches with these people. We couldn't be transparent about that in 1999. It's July of 99. And like I said, China has been a big star in the WWF for a couple of years by this point. She's already won the Intercontinental Championship. So the, for that reason alone, the context around this match is kind of weird. Like Jason comes out looking... So I wasn't watching ECW at this time, so I don't have the full context as to what Jason Knight's career was like at this point. But he comes out looking like enhancement. Like he comes out looking like a not like a serious, like credible threat. Meanwhile, Jazz comes out. She's got this black gear on. She's got a black leather jacket. She looks completely badass. And yet Joey Styles on commentary the entire match is saying stuff like, how embarrassing if Jazz actually pins Jason. Talk about how embarrassing it would be if she won. And it's like, it's not Kelly Kelly versus the big show in here. Like I, I, I look at these two in the ring. I think, yeah, she could kick his ass and, or yeah, young jazz. Interesting. If you've only really seen her or you only really remember her from the last five, 10 years, because she's doing like, she does a high cross body in this one. She does a cartwheel. She's much more agile than she will be later in career. That's not a, that's not meant to be like a slight or anything. It's just interesting to see how people, how wrestlers, like any art, artist, grows and evolves and changes their techniques and their styles over uh, decades. Yeah, I mean, her power moveset would become even more powerful. Um, she might lose a little bit of speed or a little bit of flexibility, but what she gains is like the ability to to sell a move and make it look even all the more brutal for like, you know, given the strength that she's added. I, I wanted to, to touch on something that you mentioned earlier. Um, this match against Jason is happening before two major moments of mainstream wrestling intergender work. Um, you mentioned that China had the intercontinental title, but that actually didn't happen until a couple months later. Ah, okay. There you go. I didn't research that. I was just, I just in my head, the timeline. Yeah, no, I mean, it's very close, but this was in the summertime, and then uh, China won against Jeff Jarrett for the intercontinental title in that no housekeeping match. I think that might have been October. Um, and also, Medusa won the WCW World Cruiserweight Championship in, at Starcade 99 against Evan Caragius, and that wasn't, that hadn't happened yet either. So this predated both of those things, but they all happened in, in the span of like four or five months in 1999. Hmm, so some weird, like almost synergy or maybe silent competition between them to see who could get to this credibility level first yeah it was a weird little wave that they were cresting and like um it it makes sense for jazz to be kind of ecw's counterpoint to china but medusa is kind of the outlier here and that like she wasn't really playing that heavy role so it's interesting um that these three women all got these big moments in intergender work just at a, at a weird timing crux and Jason controls the majority of this match, I'll say. Jazz gets yeah. in some hope sh spots here and there. She gets a small drop. At one point, she brings two steel chairs in the ring and uses one to slam the, like, hit the other one, which is placed on his crotch. That's just, like, classic ECW, you know? And in the end, he goes for a powerbomb. She slips out, and she hits a face buster called the Jazz Stinger onto the chair for the win. Six minutes and 33 seconds. 
To which Joey Styles' response is, response is, has to be the most humiliating moment in his professional career. You go, girl. Yeah, it's a... Uh, <laughs> I think my favorite, my, my favorite line in the commentary is, chivalry is dead. That's the other thing that's, I mean, aside from, like, the condescension of, like, oh, my gosh, she actually beat him when it totally looks like she could destroy him if they met in a dark alley. Well, yeah. It's, I mean, it's also just the fact that all the framing of it is, wow, Jason really got humiliated. Jason really got his comeuppance. It's not about, wow, Jazz really, like, made a statement. Jazz really, like, showed what she can do. Yeah, and um, Jason at this time is not in a great place in the booking um, in ECW. Like, he's... It makes sense that they that of the impact players, the, he would be the one to go up against a female wrestler because he wasn't really around ECW all that much by 1999. And this was his last major storyline with the company ending in like August. So like, well, jazz technically feuded with the entire faction. He was the only person that she had matches with. And it makes sense. He was, he was mid card and pretty low on the mid card. Yeah. So it's even more odd that the narrative around the match is about him not her. It's not about like how great she is or what an impressive debut for Jazz. It's yeah. about ooh, this is embarrassing. It's weird. It's it's almost like they they wanted to set it up as a as a way to get him out of the company even more so, which is funny because he he'd stick around and do house show stuff, but like it wasn't about building Jazz. This doesn't end up feeling like a, a story to like make her seem like a powerhouse. And she wrestles men pretty consistently through the rest of 1999. She does a number of TV matches against Steve Carino, against Simon Diamond. No real, like, notable storylines, but she wrestles men here and there heading into 2000. 2000, things start to change. There's less of her in singles matches against men, especially notable men like Steve Carino, and more she's put in a lot of mixed tag matches. Like, she takes an 18-second loss to Rhino, and then literally after that, then she's wrestling exclusively mixed takes. She's teaming with Nova, she's teaming with Tommy Dreamer, and wrestling women like Don Marie and Francine. She's she's kind of exclusively wrestling women by this point in 2000. Yeah, and I mean, before then, when she was, like, in a one feud with Simon Diamond, she lost most of those matches so she wasn't on a hot streak when it came to intergender work her final two matches for ecw are september of 2000 both of them are against angel orsini angel orsini came up a lot in our mercedes martinez episode she's she's maybe like one of these lost lost uh legends of this time period in the early 2000s yeah it's quite possible and again like we keep covering women who you know made it through that era and built a name for themselves and continued working um but you know there's just as many women wrestlers who like they did their best and then just it it wasn't the right era for them or they couldn't get much much higher than the point that they were at leaving ecw jazz returns to the indies she does some work for women's extreme wrestling which we again mentioned on mercedes's uh episode she faces Angel Rossini in a flaming tables match and then she does some more take matches teaming with again the man who would go on to be known as Rodney Mack met him back in NWA teaming with him some more here on the Indies 
it's late 2001, about a year after she left ECW, that the WWF reaches out and they sign her to a two-year contract. At first, she's sent to the Developmental Territory, Ohio Valley Wrestling, which is where all the new recruits are sent. There she wrestles a handful of matches, mostly against Charmel. And then, not that long after she signs with the WWF, it's November 18th, 2001. It is the Survivor Series. At the time, there is no WWF Women's Champion. The champion had been China, but China quit the company, left the WWF, and the title was vacated. So they announced for Survivor Series a six-pack challenge. This is a WWF specialty. No other promotion I know of does a six-pack challenge. Six-pack challenge. Trish Stratus, Jacqueline, Lita, Ivory, Mighty Molly. This is Molly Holly during her superhero phase. And a mystery opponent. That's exciting. Mystery opponents. And this would take place right during the uh, peak of the invasion angle. Yeah, so so there's a lot of... That's really awkward as well if you're just dropping in to watch this match by itself. Trying to remember, wait, who's the alliance? And why is Molly on Team ECW when she was never in ECW? It's very very odd. It's super super weird out of context. But yes, the mystery opponent turns out to be Jazz. Yeah, so Jazz makes her WWF debut on a pay-per-view as a mystery opponent in a title match. That's a big deal. Because you have a mystery opponent, people are going to get, like, their minds racing as to who could be who could be, right? You don't want to disappoint. Yeah, no, I mean, that's really cool. There must have been enough belief that she had carryover cachet from ECW to to build any kind of, like, interest in this this as as a mystery opponent. Um, It's really interesting, especially since she... (laughs) Forgive me if I'm not remembering correctly, but there's not a whole lot of jazz in this match. Well, luckily for her, her former boss, Paul Heyman, is on commentary. It's Paul Heyman and Jim Ross on commentary. When she makes her entrance, Heyman puts her over big time. He talks about, like, I think he says that she's the most dangerous woman ever compete in ECW. He talks about how strong she is, how powerful she is. So she has that going for her. The conceit of the six-pack challenge, first fall to finish wins the title. Two women are legal at a time. The other four are on the apron, separate corners. You can take out any other woman, and that's it. For Jazz's entrance, the crowd is a little quiet. It seems like a lot of them probably didn't watch ECW. They probably don't really know who she is. So it's a good thing Heyman's there on commentary. But she starts the match against Lita, and she looks good. She's, like, roughing up Lita. And then, yeah, I mean... She doesn't do a lot in this match that's that memorable, but it's hard to when it's six women and the match runs four minutes, four and a half minutes. It, it's honestly, it's not, it's not on Jazz, it's not on any of these women. It's not even on, it's not even on Trish Stratus. It's not like on any of these women. It's just, it's a short match for a six-way match. No, any any single moment you get is quickly eclipsed by the next moment, and then it's over. So nobody really has a chance to stand out aside from whoever wins. Yeah, like, she gets an eye rake on Lita, then Jazz charges at Trish, Trish ducks her, low bridges the rope, Jazz tumbles to the floor, and then Trish hits her springboard bulldog, Stratisfaction, to Ivory and pins Ivory. So, Jazz doesn't do a heck of a loss, she doesn't have, like, a 
big memorable moment, but she doesn't factor into the finish either, which is very relieving. She's just like, she's up being side with uh, Lita and some of the others when this is going on. So I guess the fact that she got the mystery opponent slot, got to debut on pay-per-view against all these other women, maybe that's enough for, for a first appearance. And it's okay that she didn't have like a, she didn't like win the match or hit a big finishing move on somebody. And it's Trisha's first title win as well, which is very noteworthy. Trish Stratus, hugely beloved, her first time winning the championship. Yeah, I want to say like this era of women's wrestling gets overlooked even even as we you know reexamine um, the the wrestlers from this era. But like this is if this match was twice as long as it is, it would be twice as long or you know even longer. Like there'd be even much more to talk about here. It'd be a it'd be a perfectly fine match to discuss. It's because it's so short, it ends up feeling like a throwaway, but none of the performances here are a throwaway. None of these wrestlers are particularly bad. Like no one is bad, is bad here. The weakest link here is Trish Stratus. And like Trish is doing what, doing what she does. Well, following survivor series, Jazz spends two months, not doing anything too big, mostly just establishing herself to TV audiences letting them know who she is, what her moves are, your basic stuff. What do you, what do you want from a, a debuting wrestler? Until January 14th, 2002, on Raw, it's Jazz versus Jacqueline, number one contenders match. Again, makes sense. Jacqueline's the one who inspired Jazz to be a wrestler. Jacqueline was the one who gave Jazz her very first match ever on the indies. These two women know each other quite well. Jazz picks up the win to become number one contender. A couple days later on SmackDown, Trish is doing an interview backstage. Jazz jumps her, beats her down, and slams Trish's hand in the lid of an equipment case. Mm. As a result, Royal Rumble 2002, it's Trish versus Jazz for the WWF Women's Championship. Jacqueline is the special guest referee, and Trish is going into the match injured. Her hand is all taped up from having that equipment case slammed down on it. This one's even shorter. This one's three minutes and 43 seconds. Yes. <laughs> um, Jacqueline is the special referee here. And um, I just, I couldn't help but like wonder, like, what if tomorrow the AEW was like, hey, Aubrey, we're going to need you to make some changes to your ref's uniform. We want that belly exposed. We want that knot right in the center, right underneath your breasts. We, we need those. We need them to pop. Up and out. <laughs> I mean, Jacqueline looks great. Like, it's a real hot look. It's just, it's very funny. Sorry, it's the only way we can get Jerry to focus on the match. Oh, my God. As is sort of the, the trend for this era, the early 2000s for the women's wrestling, the women can wrestle, for the most part. It's jump forward 10 years, and you notice a huge difference. These women can go, or at the very least, women like Trish, who are new to the industry, are trying their hardest and Trish would go on to be like one of the most respected and like one of the biggest examples of the woman who of someone who had no wrestling training prior and learned it learned the craft and put the work in so these women can wrestle they're only being given four minutes five minutes at a time but they're cramming a lot into this could have been a 10 minute match with how much they fit in to these less than four minutes yeah like we're really it's it's exciting to get to the matches that we watch later in in our coverage of jazz because i simply 
kept watching these matches wanting to watch more of the match. I wanted to see more. And we don't get to see more. We get to see four minutes. We get to see five minutes. We get, you know, it's it's just, it gets frustrating because it's like, it just feels like there's a there's momentum starting to happen and then the match is over. Jazz jumps Trish before the bow, which I like. Again, they're, they're, is it, they're giving her the real basic heel tactics. You know, she jumped Trish during an interview. She jumps before the bell, but it works and it's fine. Sometimes you don't need anything overly complicated more so than that. She hits a standing frog splash, which will go on to be a real signature move of her in this era of her career. And then she starts going after the injured hand about the halfway mark. So like two minutes in the match, (laughs) she starts going after the injured hand. Jackie doesn't like this and starts getting in her face on the referee. Jazz pokes Jackie in the chest and then shoves her. Jacqueline's not going to take this. Jacqueline shoves her back. Jazz covers Trish and gets what was probably a three count, but Jacqueline is not making the pinfall attempt or she takes her time to get down and make the count. By the time she gets down, Trish kicks out. Then Trish hits Stratisfaction and Jazz kicks out. And the commentators don't make a big deal of this, which blew my mind. I mean, this is, Matt, this is the move that she just won the title with a couple months earlier. Jazz kicked out of it? That's not a big deal? No, because they're just, they're not wholly committed to treating them like wrestlers. Yeah, JR is just talking around about whatever, and Lawler is in full horndog mode in this era. Like, all he's doing is talking about their bodies the entire match. Yeah, to honor this as an accomplishment, they have to, like, treat it like wrestlers wrestling legitimate wrestlers doing legitimate wrestling and they just they can't do it they just not they're not willing to so jazz kicks out of satisfaction jazz hits a det trish kicks out then trish hits a running bulldog and that's good for the win now did jacqueline make a fat in your opinion em, did jacqueline make a fast count after the running bulldog i think it's intentional because i mean she intentionally withholds a count before so i think i think that that's set up so there's the rub. Trish retains in 3 minutes and 43 seconds, but Jazz maybe has reason to be feeling salty coming out of the Royal Rumble 2002. As a result, the feud continues. They keep going at it on Raw and SmackDown. Trish and Jazz meet up one more time on SmackDown. Trish wins again. Heading into February 4th, 2002, it's Raw in Las Vegas. Jazz versus Trish for the championship. And this time... Jazz picks up the win. On Raw. Interesting, eh? Like, you don't get a lot of title changes on weekly TV anymore. From, from many of the big promotions these days. Those tend to be saved for pay-per-view. So it's interesting that they had her retain on pay-per-view and then drop the belt on television. Yeah, I mean... Again, I, I, I just think... That was probably a little bit more typical for anything because they were, you know... I don't know. It's hard because they have to treat this like a like an important title and they don't really. So it doesn't boggle the mind that they would let her win it on weekly television. It just it's. Yeah, at that point, it is what it is. So, Jazz, your new champ as of February 2002, she defends against Molly on Raw. And then it's time for WrestleMania X8. That's 18 for those of you who don't know 
how or why to combine Roman numerals with Latin numerals. <laughs> Don't ask me. Tweet at Vince McMahon, ask him why X8 and what that's supposed to mean. Or don't tweet at Vince McMahon and live your life. It's March 2002, WrestleMania X8, triple threat for the Women's Championship. Jazz versus Trish versus Lita. Now, unfortunately for them, or, uh, you know, maybe noteworthy for us, this match is dropped into the, the real death spot on the card. It's the second last match of the night, which you would think, wow, second last match of the night, that's, that's huge. No. They are sandwiched between a 16-minute match between The Rock and Hulk Hogan mm-hmm. and the 19-minute main event, Triple H, Chris Jericho for the WWF Championship. Yeah, this is um, the worst placement you could possibly ask for. The definition of buffer. The, the definition of, of bathroom break. Like, there's, and there's simply nothing. There's no way for them to get around it. There's there's no way. You could have the three greatest women's wrestlers in the world, and you could argue that you're talking about, you know, two or three. Um, and no, it's just not going to happen. This is a... This, this is a yeah, the epitome of a bathroom break spot. It sucks. Now, the only thing going for them, arguably, it's the Skydome in Toronto. Huge arena. So even if a large portion of the audience goes to the bathroom, goes to the concession stands, there's still a lot of people in the seats. And it's Trish Stratus' hometown. So you got that going for you. You've got the hometown crowd wanting to cheer on the babyface former champ, Trish. And see if she retains the title. So that's the one thing that they have that maybe would maybe kept people more invested than if this had been Ivory versus Molly Holly or something to that effect. Jazz is out first. Don't like that. The champ should always be last. But the champ's out first. Trish is out last, being the hometown babyface. There's one Jazz sign in the crowd that they show. Somebody made a, a sign for Jazz. They did the J as like a treble clef. I don't, I don't know. It was really cutesy, which did not fit her character at all. Yeah, but kudos to that person for getting creative. We've got Jr. and Jerry Lawler on commentary. I like that Lita and Jazz just start brawling before Trish has even made it to the ring. Like again, this seems to be the the trend of like, oh, we know we only have like six minutes, so we're not wasting. There, there's no rest holds in any of these women's matches you know there's no killing yeah. time it's just like we got to get into this as quickly as we can because we know we got to maximize our minutes no it's it's really straightforward in that in that way it it feels like it it earns every minute that they're given they're just they're given so few minutes i thought jazz's offense in this match was really crisp every every drop kick she hits and stuff like just looks so nice and so sweet especially maybe this is hearsay, but especially against Trish and Lita, because like we said, early stages of Trish's career, still finding her footing, still not quite the Trish that we'll know and love yet. And Lita, again, this is hearsay. Send me your hate mail. I don't care. Lita always wrestles sloppy. I always was afraid she was going to hurt herself. Yeah, I could, I could see that. I'm interested in counterpoint there. Um, I never thought of it particularly as sloppy, but I guess I could see I could see your point. Every time she had a moon, like she went for her moon salt, I like I squinted, like I closed my eyes because I was afraid she was going to fall on her neck. 
Yeah, it's not. I mean, I, I feel like jazz, especially since jazz seems to be getting better and better and tighter and tighter in her offense. Like it's only making the other women seem a little looser. As we said, Jerry Lawler at his all-time worst in this era. And this match, she is, like, insufferable. I can't believe this is a WrestleMania that they let him go out there and, and act like this, or encourage him to act like this, which, frankly, you know, Vance is probably encouraging. They probably loved it. it. And it's frustrating because the women are trying hard. They are, like, giving it their all out there. We get the story, which makes sense, where the two baby faces are teaming up on Jazz for the first half of the match before they start to turn on each other because only one of them can win. Lita hits a twist of fate to Jazz. She hits her moonsault onto the knees of Trish. And in the end, Jazz hits a fisherman's superplex to Lita from the top rope for the pin. Yeah. Six minutes a, and 17 seconds. It's a really good finisher. Yeah, it's, it's worthy of WrestleMania. Like, hitting a, a fisherman's superplex looked, looked good. Yeah. Today, in 2022, Jazz looks back on her WWE career. She considers this match the highlight of her time in WWE As, uh, because of the work rate in the match because of being on the big platform and because she becomes the first black woman to successfully retain a championship at Wrestlemania coming out of Wrestlemania Jazz continues to feed with Trish Jazz versus Trish really the biggest obviously the biggest feud of her time in WWE she picks up some successful retentions over Trish as well as Ivory on Raw, she faces Trish in a no DQ match on Raw and beats her again. And then May of 2002, get the F out. The WWF becomes the WWE, all thanks to some pandas and environmental conservators. <laughs> As a result, let the record books show Jazz, the final WWF Women's Champion and the first WWE Women's Champion. She's at a transitional period for a lot of moments in wrestling. Then they go on a tour of Europe, and at a house show, her old basketball knee injury resurfaces, and she suffers a torn ACL in her left knee. She's going to need time off. So when they get back, coincidentally enough, to Toronto, May of 2002, they decide to book... Let me remind you again, sorry. This is 2002, and it's WWF, so WWE now. Don't don't ask me about the, to explain booking. I can't. <laughs> this is the match. Sorry, it's Trish Stratus and Bubba Ray Dudley against Jazz and Stephen Richards in a mixed tag match, with both Jazz's WWF Women's Championship and Stephen Richards' Hardcore Championship on the line. The winning tag team wins both singles titles. Doesn't make any sense, but that's what happened. That, that, like I said. And Bubba Ray and Trish win. Bubba Ray is the new hardcore champion. Trish is your new WF Women's Champion in her second reign. And Jazz is out of action for eight months. I kind of love this, though. I kind of love the chaos, chaotic spirit of this. I kind of wish that more promotions would just, like, tag up their wrestlers and force them to put both the belts up in these, like weird mash of like in a mixed well, take match where if the woman on the other team gets the pinfall you lose your title sir and it's like how is that fair it wasn't even a hardcore <laughs> match and Stephen Richards lost the hardcore championship 
Yep. No, it makes no sense that it would be the the complete opposite affair, but I, I love the chaotic spirit of it. So eight months, Jazz is out of action as it's wrestling and the women's division moves on without her. January 27th, 2003 on Raw, she returns from injury, finally. And the first thing she does now she's back is attack Trish. Of course, they, they, can't, stand, they can't stand each other. <laughs> she attacks Trish the night she returns. Two weeks later, she wrestles her first match in eight months, defeating Molly Holly once again. And then March 10th, 2003 on Raw, it's Jazz versus Trish in a number one contender match because Trish is no longer a champion by this point. The champion is Victoria. So it's Jazz versus Trish, number one contender match. Victoria, for whatever reason, decides to interfere in the match and lay out both of them. This is this is a bad move. This bites her in the ass because, of course, the general manager then says, triple threat. March 2003, WrestleMania XIX. Not X9. Why not? What changed? What happened? Someone was like, they're going to make fun of us again. <laughs> so it's WrestleMania 19. For the second year in a row, it's a triple threat for the women's championship. This time, it's Trish versus Jazz versus Victoria. Instead, Trish versus Jazz versus Lita. And... Trish picks up the win this time. She couldn't win her hometown a year earlier, but this time Trish picks up the win. She is now in her fourth reign as WWF Women's Champion. So what does Jazz do now that she is not the champion? She's not the number one contender. What can we do? She's been around for a year and a half now. We need to do something to freshen her up, give her a new character, a new direction, right? Enter Theodore Long. (laughs) Oh... This is pre-general manager Teddy Long. So if you only know Teddy as uh, the meme Teddy Long, the you're going one-on-one with the Undertaker, the uh, 10-man tag matches Teddy Long, this before that. This is when he was a heel manager. And at this time, he's running a stable called Thuggin' and Buggin' Enterprises. Yep. Basically, it's a group of heels, group of... African-American gentlemen who are tired of being held down by the man. Not Ric Flair. Ric Flair might say, like, to be the man, you got to beat the man, he's the man. But they weren't talking about that man. They are talking about the colloquial the man, you know, like white, white, white oppression and uh, the patriarchy and all that. So this makes them heels. Yes, in it, yes absolutely. In the WWE, yeah, 100%. Theodore Long in Thuggin' and Buggin' Enterprises. It's basically him, Mark Henry, Dealer Brown. But very quickly, he dumps Dealer Brown and replaces him with the newly renamed Rodney Mack. That's right, he's finally Rodney Mack now. I don't have to keep saying the man who would no- be known as Rodney Mack. He's now Rodney Mack. It's Theodore Long Mansion, Mark Henry, Rodney Mack, and then April 2003, they recruit Jazz. Thuggin' and Buggin' Enterprises. Long... Mark Henry, Rodney Mack, and Jazz, tired of being held down by the man. A couple weeks later, Backlash, 2003, Jazz defeats Trish with the help of Thuggin' and Buggin' to capture the Women's Championship for a second time. Yep. And he'd be alongside of her at Judgment Day. Yes, the next match that I put on our watch list, May 2003, WWE Judgment Day. It's not a three-way, Emily. 
is a four-way. It's a four-way. We love these cram all the women in one match card. <laughs> this time, it is Jazz defending against Trish and Victoria. And oh, what the hell, let's throw Jacqueline in there too. Why not? Sure, we'll put Jacqueline in there. Jacqueline, Jacqueline is one of the good ones. Um, she's not complaining about the man holding her down. She knows her place. It's Judgment Day, it's not WrestleMania, but they still get the death spot. Once again, they're second last on the card. They're following Triple H versus Kevin Nash for the world title. And they are on right before Big Show, Brock Lesnar, and a stretcher match for the WWE title. But at least they're on long after Tori Wilson versus Sable in a bikini contest. Uh, it's 2003. 2003. Context. Yeah, it's pretty bad even for 2003. Not going to lie. All right. Trish is up first this time. Then we get Victoria. Stephen Richards is still in her corner. Then we get Jazz. Theodore Long is in her corner. And then we get Jacqueline. Um, Victoria takes up Trish at ringside kind of early, which leaves Jacqueline against the two heels, Jazz and Victoria. Jazz does an STF to Trish. At the same time, Jacqueline does a half crap to Victoria. So it's like, oh my god, who's going to tap first? One refreshing thing about this um, commentary, it seems like Jerry Lawler on Viagra period is behind us. He was more, he was much more strained on this one, and they were focusing more on the actual wrestling and less on the maple leaf on the rear end of Trish Stratus's gear and things like that. Yeah, it kind of sounded like Jerry Lawler was sedated. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what happened. Maybe he, uh, maybe he reached that time in a man's life when, you just, you know, you're just not as active as you used to be. <sighs> Thank God. <laughs> In the end, Trish goes for Stratisfaction on Victoria, but Victoria tosses her clean over the top rope and to the floor. The crowd kind of gasps at that one, which is nice. Glad they got a reaction. And then Jazz hits Jacqueline with the DDT to retain clean in 4 minutes and 47 seconds. Instead, Jazz is still the champ, and she won clean. No, no need of uh, assistance from Teddy Long, from Rodney Mack, from Mark Henry. A month later... June 2003, it is WWE Insurrection Jazz versus Trish. Jazz wins again. Um, <laughs> who knows how long this Jazz versus Trish rematch after rematch after rematch feud would have gone on for if she didn't get injured again. Be- because around this time, she she chips and dislocates her shoulders and she has to take two months off. Not as bad as last time, but two months is still two months when you're the champ. That's WWE. That's a lot of house shows. So June 30th on Raw, Jazz drops the title. It's a seven-woman battle royal for the title. Jazz gets eliminated. Gail Kim ends up winning. Gail Kim is your new champion. That's nice. Fresh, fresh face in the picture, at least. Yeah, this is a this is an interesting period where there's a number of women of color who are in prominent spots in the fairly limited amount of women in the WWE and um, jazz dropping it to Gail Kim is, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's kind of cool. Like it's m- more diversity than you would expect from this era of WWE. That will end very quickly. Everybody don't, don't get too excited. In the time that she is off on the sidelines, jazz, she's married to the man known as Rodney Mack. <laughs> Not the man who soon will be known as Rodney Mack. The man currently, 
then currently notice. Yes, if you were wondering why I was bringing them up so often prior to Thuggin' and Buggin', this is why. They met during her very early period in the NWA. They wrestled together more on her period between ECW and WWE. They got to be in a stable together in the WWE, along with Mark Henry and Theodore Long, and then they got married. And they're still married today. Yeah, and they have daughters. Twin girls. So Jazz returns after her dislocation of her shoulder. She wrestles on a bunch of house shows. Doesn't really appear on TV again, though. I'm wondering if maybe it was... They're just testing the waters in the house shows, making sure that she was good to go before they figured out a storyline for her. She finally reappears on TV again, January 12th, 2004. Just kind of funny because it was January 2003 that she returned to TV after her first injury. So now a year later, January 2004, she's returning to TV from injury. (laughs) And at this time, she doesn't do that much notable. She wrestles a lot. She's doing tag matches, she's doing three-ways, four-ways, battle royals. They do a lot of three-ways and four-ways, if you haven't caught on by now, at this point in the women's division. So she's doing a lot of these, but she never really factors in with a finish. She's not picking up number one contenders matches. She's not challenging for the title. She's just around doing stuff. And then eventually she just ends up being turned into a manager for Rodney. She just starts managing Rodney Mack. She's not really wrestling that much at all in any capacity. So I, I wonder, she hasn't really spoken about that too much, but I'm wondering if after that second injury, certain people behind the scenes kind of wrote her off as just saying like, well, you know, we're done with her. Like, what's, like what's, what's the point of pushing her or giving her the title if she's just going to keep getting injured? I think the injury thing would be an excuse, though, because I feel like they're already just, they were as we'll talk about in a moment, like I think that they were just moving away from the idea of someone like Jazz being their champion, their women's champion. They were losing interest in the legit wrestling that some of these women had to offer. Her final match for the WWE is on Sunday Night Heat, November 1st, 2004. Jazz and Molly Holly pick up a victory over Victoria and Nydia in tag team action. So she picks up a win on her last match. And then three days later, she and Rodney Mack are both released by WWE. And they give her the uh, the old, creative has no, nothing for you. That's just their go-to explanation. We got a whole team of writers back here. We just can't think of anything for you. I don't know. It's all just We're not good at our job, so we're just going to fire you. Yeah, that's an insane thing to, to think about. Of like, we can't do our job, so you you are the one that is losing yours. But she and Rodney weren't the only people let go during this period in the tail end of 2004. Actually, Gail Kim and Nydia had both already been released before Jazz got the news of her being, of her release meant. And she said when she heard that Gail Kim and Nydia were gone, that she knew she was next because they were already moving into what she would call like the supermodel era of WWE. And within a couple of years, we're in the full-fledged divas era, where everybody, for the most part, is skinny, white, blonde, very little wrestling training. That's not what they're here for. Yeah, and I, I think that it, you know, it's going to be them and... I mean, I'm trying to think who else might have been gone at this point, but like they just they dismantled any of the momentum that the women's division might have had 
and systematically got rid of their their toughest women and replaced them with with women who just virtually were were completely new and were not wrestlers. But even before that, it's not like things were always like rosy and sunshine. Jazz says in an interview, the whole time I was there, they never gave me an action figure. The people of color were treated a little differently. They didn't market me. I made myself. They gave me the platform to go out there, but I got over on my own. There's no action figure, never on a poster. That's the shit I was upset about. And yeah, you think it's, it's WWE. They're turning out action figures and merchandise for everybody. She's a two-time champion. You know, yeah, she's a heel, but there were plenty of heels at this time that were getting t-shirts and action figures made. You know that. And so you think anybody who's held the title twice would be worthy of that distinction? Following WWE, it's back to the Indies. Spring 2005, Jazz does her first tour of Japan, wrestling for IWA. May of 2005, she wins the Women's Extreme Wrestling Championship. It's a four-way match featuring Mercedes Martinez, Angel Rossini, and Simply Luscious. She goes back to the NWA, wrestles some more matches for them. And then in late 2005, she and her husband, Rodney Mack, open their own promotion in Louisiana. It's called Dirty South Championship Wrestling. And it's a promotion, it's also a fitness gym, it's also a wrestling school. Jazz wrestles for DCW. Um, She wrestles both women and men during this period. And about a year after that uh, founding of the promotion, they decide Dirty South Championship Wrestling is kind of like they changed their mind, I guess, and they changed to Down South Championship Wrestling instead. (laughs) Much better. At this time, Mercedes does an interview, which is really interesting. And Mercedes says regarding Jazz... She came to my school with Jason Knight, and she was one of the first people that kind of said, you have to be who you are. You are a diamond in the rough. You are that person that's going to trailblaze. You are that person that's going to make a difference. Don't let anybody tell you any differently about who you want to be, because there's a sense of people molding you. People are always going to try to mold you, but you really have to stick to your guns and your true mission. That makes so much sense coming from Jazz and as impactful on Mercedes Martinez. Because think about these two women, like whatever WWE bullshit that they might have tried to push on Jazz, Jazz throughout her run there still remains so quintessentially herself. And Mercedes Martinez, as we talked about in this ep- in, in our episode focusing on her, like the same deal. She like she was especially late in her career when she finally did get signed to WWE she resisted all push on her character that would take her out of who she was who she understood her wrestling persona to be and um so it makes sense that these words were impactful on Mercedes because Mercedes clearly took them to heart and it's it's a real testament this is what we talk about when people talk about representation matters and things like that, right? Jazz is inspired to become a wrestler because she sees Jacqueline and says, wow, there's somebody who looks like me and somebody who like isn't being forced to necessarily just be pillow fights and brawn panties matches. And then Jazz takes that lesson and she goes and she talks to the school and Mercedes Martinez hears these words as a queer Latina woman and says, wow, she's right. Like I do need to just be myself. I can't let them mold me or force me into being somebody that I'm not. And now how many women of this generation grew up watching jazz, watching Mercedes Martinez, and have learned from them and taken that into their own thing. And again, not just like 
not just the black women who have grown up seeing jazz and thought, wow, cool, badass, I want to be like her, women like Trisha Dora, but also women like Paloma Starr, who, who is a huge jazz fan and saw her and like clearly took lessons from her and put it towards her own career. So jazz is doing this indie stuff in the 2005-2006 era. They opened DCW in Louisiana, her and Rodney. Meanwhile, WWE has started doing this WWE versus ECW feud on ECW TV and WWE TV. As a result, they start calling up some former ECW talent that they released and ask them to bring it to come back, come in and do some angles and some storylines to build this WWE versus ECW feud. And so Jazz is rehired. She rejoins WWE June 2006. They have her on this show head to head where she takes on women's champion Mickey James. She loses, but she gets to face the champion. That's kind of a big deal. Then she does some more house show matches here and there. And six, seven months later, they release her again in January 2007. <laughs> <sighs> Following her release from WWE, she takes about a year, year and a half off. And during that time, she gives birth, November 2008, to twin girls, Summer and Sky. Following the birth of her daughters, it's back to wrestling. Uh, 2009, she debuts for Women's Superstars Uncensored. There, she wrestles against women like Angel Orsini, as well as Amber O'Neill and Nikki Rocks. On WSU's first internet pay-per-view, Breaking Barriers, in November 2010, she's in the main event. It's Jazz versus Mercedes Martinez for the WSU Championship. 2011, Jazz teams up with Marty Bell, and they win the WSU Take Titles. It's actually part of like a three-woman faction along with Tina San Antonio. The idea being that all three of them can defend the titles using like the Freebird rule. But as it turns out, Marty Bell and Tina San Antonio lose the belts before Jazz can ever defend them. So it's kind of a moot point. <laughs> the disadvantage of that type of setup. And then July of 2012, a new promotion starts called Shine Wrestling ostensibly the sister promotion to Shimmer. Shine is a new all-women's promotion. Jazz is featured on the first show, booked to wrestle in the main event, and at the show, the website Diva Dirt will present her with their Legacy Award. Unfortunately, the award ceremony is crashed by... Mercedes crashes the ceremony. They have a bit of an altercation, sowing some seeds. And then the main event, Jazz versus Sarah Del Rey. This is July 2012. Sarah Del Rey will retire less than a month later. This is right, right at the end of her career. And you want to talk about trailblazers of the early 2000s in women's wrestling. North American wrestling especially, Sarah Del Rey is in the top three. When we do, I mean, we will be... Uh, I am lobbying hard to do a Sarah Del Rey episode of one of these, even though she is not necessarily. I mean, it, she's not wrestling I, anymore, but she's coaching at NXT, and that's huge. Coaching, so I think that counts as working. I, it's definitely. I mean, it's working, but I think it still counts as as active. So this is about a month before Sarah Del Rey retires. She wrestles this match, and then like two months later, she's wrestling Eddie Kingston for the Chikara title. <laughs> <laughs> and 
Jazz this 2012. So she's 14 years into her career now. She's 10 years removed from her first WWF championship win. So it's interesting looking at this match in that context compared to the WWF matches we watched at the start of this episode. And it's also obviously different because it's indie wrestling. Indie wrestling is so different. They're not limited by the WWE formula. I mean, this match here is longer than all four of the WWF matches we watched combined. Yes. Yes, it is. And it's so cool. I mean, yeah, it's it's like shocking watching it back to back after those triple threats and four ways and WrestleMania matches because it's like you're like, wow, they're they're going slow. And it's like, yeah, they're going. They got 20 minutes, you know, they're being methodical. They're like feeling each other out. They're whatever. They don't need to like rush into drop kicks and pinfalls in the first 30 seconds because they got time to let this thing breathe. Yeah, it's genuinely refreshing. Like, I, I highly recommend that if you follow along our watch list, watch those WWE matches first. Like, watch those and then watch this one. It's like getting a lung full of air after holding your breath for 10 minutes. And 14 years into her career, you know, like I said, artists change. Whether you're a painter, a musician, a wrestler, whatever. Like, you're gonna, your style is going to change. You're going to change as a person as you grow with time. Jazz isn't doing cross bodies anymore. She's not doing fox splashes. She's doing a lot of ground wrestling. She's doing like clubbing blows, holds, suplexes, things like that, which is really, really interesting. I, I love watching like wrestlers style evolve over the years. Yeah, me too. And I love that it it's a style that suits her really well. I think the tougher her style becomes the, the, you know, the more emphasis on, you know, tough, brutal, like blows and, and technical moves, the, the better her wrestling seems overall, because I think there's a smoothness there that has come with her years in the ring. She's just, she's natural. Like this is a really wonderful matchup because both of these women have such a, um, honest to goodness, like natural fluency in ring work and a really good chemistry and compatibility as far as opponents go. So it's it's just wonderful. It's like they're they're getting to wrestle and you're getting to see what Jazz really can do. Doe dominates, let's say, the majority of the match, you know, maybe 60, 70% of the match. And she's in full heel mode. She's showing you the fans. She's telling them to shut up and sit down, those sort of things. But in the end, Jazz picks up the win. 23 minutes and 32 seconds, and she wins with the Jazz Stinger. After all these mm-hmm. years, the rest of her offense might have changed, might have tweaked, might have shifted, but she's still hitting that face buster. Yes. Yes, she is. On Cage Match, this is the highest rated match of Jazz's career. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see why. It, it's it's really fantastic. And although um, Sarah dominates a lot of this, um, Jazz is, it, it's, that's not to say that... Um, Jazz doesn't hold her own here. She absolutely does. It's more like they, Sarah dictates kind of the story of this and Jazz meets her toe to toe. As I said, Sarah Del Rey retires about three weeks later, so she does not wrestle for Shine again. Jazz does. Jazz sticks around. They build off of that altercation during the Legacy Awards segment where Mercedes crashed. Month later at Shine 2, it's Jazz versus Mercedes in the main event. That one ends in a no contest. Shine 3, Bit of a sidestep from the feud. Jazz takes on Rain, beats Rain clean. Then Shine 4, 
its jazz-challenging Soraya Knight for the Shimmer Championship. Soraya retains due to interference from Mercedes Martinez and Rain. They both don't like jazz now, and they're working together to deal with her. And then at Shine 5, November 2012, it is Mercedes and Rain teaming up against Jazz and Awesome Kong. I could not find this one for free, which is too bad, because this one sounds like a blast. I, I need to somehow get my hands on this. Noteworthy around this time, in 2010, Jazz ranks on the PWI women's list for the first time. She's at slot number 40. In 2011, she moves up to 27, and in 2012, it's her highest ranking to date at 13. 13th best women's wrestler on the planet in the year 2012. After that, she drops off the list. She won't rank again until 2021, when she lands at number 83. She continues along with Shine doing different stuff. April of 2013 at Shine 9. They're doing a qualifying tournament to crown the Shine Champion. Jazz defeats Eva Elise to qualify for the tournament, but for unknown reasons, she never enters the tournament. Instead, she leaves Shine and never wrestles for them again. Could not find any answers as to why. Yeah, that's really curious. Other indies at this time, because as you know, independent wrestler in the 2010s, you're not wrestling for just one promotion. She's not doing just Shine, just WSU. She's doing all sorts of promotions, big and small, all over the place. She goes to Canada and wrestles for Femme Fatale in Quebec. She goes to England and wrestles for Bellatrix. And she even does two appearances for Chikara. If you asked me, did Jazz ever compete for Chikara, I would have guessed no. She <laughs> doesn't seem like a fit. <laughs> but she did. September of 2016, King of Trios, the annual Chikara Trios Tournament. The match is Team Shimmer, Candice LeRae, Solar Darling, and Crazy Mary Dobson, um, the future Sarah Logan, teaming up against Team Original Divas Revolution, Jazz, Mickey James, and Victoria. This is a fun one. Yes, this is a lot of fun. And you're getting to see, I mean, not only are you getting to see Jazz and Victoria and Mickey James team up together, but like you're also seeing, you're, you're seeing them against the like, you know, new wave of women's wrestling that is, you know, really breaking in the, the mid aughts So like, you've got Candice LeRae, who in just a couple of years is going to be signed to WWE. You've got Solo Darling pre-tail cut. And you've also got you know, pre Sarah Logan, Sarah Logan. So like you've, you've got a transitional period here where in just a matter of another couple of years, you, you're going to see these women take on those WWE roles that like these other women have left far behind. I think it's really, it's a really neat moment. The match itself. It's fun. It's like, I, I didn't have like firm expectations, not like low or, or high, just, I didn't have any kind of firm expectations of what I was going to see going into this, but they end up doing a lot of action in here. And I really like the stuff that we get to see with, especially with jazz and, and, and Sarah Logan. I think that they have some really good sequences. You can tell the ex WWE women are just like really having fun. Yeah. Like they, they get a pre-match promo where they're all like being kind of giggly and like silly and yes. goofy oh and stuff. Gosh. And it's wonderful. It ends in just like, something kind of nonsense and then it's just like laugh like non sequitur and, and they're all just like laughing to themselves clearly 
And it's such a, it's a really freeing moment because you can like tell that they just never got that in their jobs when they were, you know, with the major company. No, like Chaz and Victoria never really got to be like silly or fun in WWE. They were always playing the heels. And Mickey went from like being a stalker to being fashioned. Those were her two major storylines. <laughs> so they're here, they're having fun. We get like Victoria taking a sip of Solo Darling's like sugar water and just like <laughs> going like hyperspeed and stuff. <laughs> Jazz doesn't do a lot in this one, but it's again, there's six women in one match. It's it's not about work rate work rate with this one. It's about the like the treat of seeing these two eras of women in the ring together and seeing them having fun. Yeah, it's it's a worthwhile watch, like any King of Trios uh, match. It's just it's a fun time and clearly everybody's having a good time when they're there. In the end, well, she's not Victoria anymore. Lisa Marie Veron. This is post-Victoria and post-Terra, I believe, as well. Mm. She hits the Widow's Peak to Crazy Mary Dobson for the win in 14 minutes and 29 seconds. So the Divas advance in the King of Trios tournament, but they're eliminated the next day by the team of Thunderfrog, Oleg the Usurper, and Kimberly. And then it's around 2016 that Jazz starts making regular appearances for the NWA. Once again, she's been on and off with them her whole career. She wrestled for them in 98 before WWE. She wrestled for them between ECW and WWE. And obviously NWA has gone through a lot of changes between 1998 and 2016. <laughs> a and lot. 20, 19 and 2022. Like it's ever, ever evolving, ever changing. So 2016, she starts making regular appearances for them including at a house show in Texas, September 2016, where she defeats Christy Janes and NWA Women's Champion Amber Gallows in a three-way match to become the new NWA World Women's Champion. At the time, the NWA isn't... This is pre-Billy Corgan. The NWA isn't on most people's radar. The titles don't mean a lot to a lot of people, but Jazz captures the title that was held by Burke, held by all these other famous women. She defends against Thunder Rosa at a show in New York. And then October 2018, at the NWA's 70th anniversary show, she retains over Penelope Ford. This one I really wanted to watch. I could not find it uh, not behind a paywall. And sorry, I'm not paying 15, 20 bucks for a show from four years ago when I only want to watch one match. Yeah, I mean, guys, we're, we're on a budget here, but, you know. Yeah, so around this time is when Billy Corgan buys the NWA and starts trying to build it up into something meaningful with the 70th anniversary show, with the return of the Crockett Cup, events like these. And Jazz is right there riding that crest, along with Tim Storm and Nick Aldis in the men's division. Jazz ends up holding the NWA women's title for two and a half years. She retains against Thunder Rosa, Penelope Ford, Jordan Grace, Jocelyn Navarro, Maria Manic, Heather Monroe. These aren't nobodies. These aren't jobbers. These are these are women of note. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it all builds to April 2019, the return of the Crockett Cup, Jazz versus Allison Kay 
for the title in what would have been a really big match. It got a lot of hype around it. I remember this at the time. I remember this is when the NWA started uh, being on my radar again. Yep, absolutely. This is, oh, this is prime. Yeah, this is, you know, they brought this back. They were doing a bunch of stuff with ROA. This was a huge, this is a huge moment for NWA's like new era. Unfortunately, Jazz is in her late 40s. She's been wrestling for two and a half years defending the title. And just she's she still has that knee injury from high school, honestly. Like recurring knee injuries, recurring back injuries from over the year catch up to her. And she's unable to defend against Allison Kay at the Crockett Cup. She has to vacate the title instead. Allison Kay goes on to face... We don't have in my notes. It was Santana Garrett. I believe. Yes. And Allison yes. K wins the title, and she holds it for a really memorable uh, run there as well. Yeah, I mean, Allison K would be the champion as they started this new um, weekly era of, of NWA. And I mean, honestly, I broken record at this point, but those first two seasons of of power had some of the best, you know, most consistently booked women's action in all of wrestling, which is crazy because there were like four or five women involved, but they did it really well. AK was the NWA women's champ when I met her in Toronto. And when I bought the little replica NWA world women's championship pin, which is sitting on the printer's door in my living room. Yep. And, you know, it starts with Jazz really holding that title for so long, bringing some like prestige to it just given who she is. 948 days, Jazz held the title. In the past 66 years, that's number three, behind only Debbie Combs and Fabulous Mua. And we don't count Mua. No, she doesn't care. We, we don't care about her. She don't care about us. She certainly didn't care about the history of women's wrestling. We don't count Mua because like, the only reason she held onto a title for that long is because she booked herself to continue holding onto that title. So it's April 2019, Jazz has to vacate the NWA title. August of 2019, Jazz debuts for AEW at All Out. It is the very first women's casino battle royal. Jazz is one of the mystery entrants, but she's quickly eliminated by ODB. November, she goes over to England. She debuts for Pro Wrestling Eve in their She Won tournament. She picks up wins over Jetta and Mesa Ruga, but loses to Rio O'Reilly. I remember the Mesa Ruga match because she's so much bigger than May. <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> and then February of 2020, heading into 2020, Jazz is 47 years old and thinking that now is probably the time to start wrapping things up, hanging up her boots. She decides that she's going to do a retirement tour that summer of 2020. One last victory lap around and then uh, call it a day instead COVID hits the COVID-19 pandemic remember that thing it arrives in February 2020 indie wrestling shuts down in a lot of areas for a significant period of time and all her plans go out the window so instead October of 2020 during an online interview Jazz announces that she's retired you know, I mean, I can't blame her. Like, I'm thinking about doing a retirement tour and then COVID-19, it was like a, a global pandemic hits. I feel like that would, I, I would be tempted to read that as a sign from fate that I, you know, I'm done. So she announces her retirement. The uh, the dirt sheets 
pick this up. They get the news around. Jazz wrestling legend has retired. And one of the people who reads this is her old friend from ECW, Tommy Dreamer, who happens to be working as an agent for Impact Wrestling. He calls her up. He says, wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. You're not retiring like that. Come on. Come on. We got, we got something for you to do. November of 2020, Jazz makes her debut for Impact Wrestling. Can you believe, in all this time, all these different promotions, ECW, WWE, WSU, Shine, she never once set foot in a TNA ring. Hard to believe. Really, really hard to believe. So November 2020, Jazz finally debuts for Impact Wrestling. She announces that she'll be teaming with Jordan Grace they'll be entering the tournament to crown new knockouts take team champions. She admits that she did announce that she retired, but then says that she changed her mind and she wants to end her career with gold instead. December 1st, 2020, on Impact Wrestling, it's Jazz and Jordan Grace taking on Killer Kelly and Renee Michelle in the opening round of the knockouts take team championship tournament. This one, you, you get instant context when you turn on this video and you see nobody in the arena and Josh Matthews alone on commentary, you're like, oh, COVID-19. COVID-19. Yeah, it's hampered a little bit from that, but otherwise, um, a really fun, very, like, you know, quick, good tag match, lots of good action here, and Jazz and Jordan have really nice chemistry. I mean, kind of thrown together, but I I feel like they had a nice, like, working style. Yeah, it's interesting. Usually I favor the sort of Heart Foundation formula of tape teams, we have two different styles who accentuate each other but work well together. That's not really the case here. Jazz and Jordan Grace, both powerhouses, both strong yeah. women. But they work nicely together considering they didn't really have a track record. I mean, they faced off with the NWA title once, but they hadn't really teamed together before. Yeah. No, I mean, as far as, like, thrown together, this works really well. And I'm with you. I like I like a complementary styles approach. But I also can never resist like two hosses just doing what hosses do which is you know mangling their opponents and that's kind of what happens here jordan handles most of the ring time which is what you'd expect when you got a legendary team right like darby allen's doing most of the matches and and taking a sting here and there right sting's not wrestling 90 percent of it that's how you want things to be you want that special attraction to feel special when she gets in the ring Yes, and it also gets over the younger talent because you get they get to showcase how much they can do while paired up with a legend who's you know pulling out their classic moves move sets. It, it works for uh, it works in favor for both people. Jordan hits a grace driver to kill, Killer Kelly, but Renee Michelle breaks it up. Jazz hits a flapjack to Kelly, but Michelle breaks it up again, and then Jazz hits a Jazz stinger to Renee Michelle for the pin in eight minutes and fifty three seconds. So they advance. Jazz and Jordan Grace advance to round two of the tournament, but Shades of Chikara, they're eliminated in the second round. <laughs> uh, it's January 2021. They are eliminated by Jessica Havoc and Nevea in round two. Despite this, in March of 2021 at Sacrifice, Jazz and Grace get a shot at the new champions, Fire and Flavor. That's Tasha Steeles and Kira Hogan. They don't win it. But they get a shot, and then they enter into a little feud with Diana Perrazzo and her henchwoman, Susan. <laughs> Jazz takes on Diana Perrazzo on TV. Diana picks up the win thanks to Susan. Jazz attacks both of them backstage during an interview, and she demands a match. 
So Tommy Dreamer, who's an agent who can also book matches, I guess, tells her, okay, at Hardcore Justice, it's going to be you versus Deanna Perrazzo. And tell you what, I'll put Deanna's Knockouts Championship on the line if you put something on the line too. And Jazz says she'll put up her career. Tommy tries to talk her out of it. Dreamer says, like, no, no, it doesn't have to be your career. It could be anything. It could be uh, whatever. It could be, like, your, you know, a, a, a precious family memento or something. She says, no, I'll put my career on the line. Career versus title, me and Deanna, hardcore justice. He's like, stop trying to make me not retire, Dreamer. April 10th, 2021. It is Impact, hardcore justice, Jazz versus Deanna, career versus title, I remember watching this one at the time. It's still, unfortunately, behind a paywall, so I wasn't able to rewatch it for this episode. But I remember watching it at the time and thinking, yeah, it was good. It's Diana. What do you expect, right? She she can deliver it against anybody. And it's Jazz in her final match of her career, right? Her retirement match, because Diana picks up the win here. So that's it. April 10th, 2021, Jazz loses Diana Perrazzo. Diana is still the Knockouts champion, and Jazz is forced to retire for real this time. Tommy pulled her out of retirement once, but this time her career is over. Five nights later on Impact Television, they do a little retirement ceremony for her. Jazz says she came to Impact for one more title run. That couldn't happen. It's okay. She puts over how great Deanna is, how great Jordan Grace is, and then Fire and Flavor show up. And Tasha and Kira show up and they interrupt and they're bickering and insulting her. And a referee shows up Scott Demore says, I'm booking a match on the spot. Jazz versus Kira Hogan. They're in their street clothes. They're not even wrestled to compete. Jazz beats up Kira, hits a Michinoko driver, pins her in one minute and 22 seconds. The final match of Jazz's career. <laughs> the roster empties out to honor Jazz. It's a real nice uh, heartfelt moment. We go to commercials. Out of commercials, Scott Demore says, tell you what, at the pay-per-view... Jazz and Jordan Grace against Fire and Flavor for the Knockouts Tape titles again. And Jazz says, no. No, I'm retired, you damn men, it. You men don't listen to me. <laughs> I'm retired. I tried retiring last year. Tommy told me to come back to the tournament. I did. I told Deanna if she beat me, I'd retire. She beat me. I retired. You booked me against Kira. I beat her. I'm retired. I'm not wrestling this tape match. You know what? Give Jordan the tape match. She'll find a partner. Jordan and her new partner, they can go after t- the titles. And they do. Jordan goes out and finds Rachel Ellering, and Jazz manages them for a little bit as they chase Fire and Flavor. (laughs) One month after Jazz's retirement, she wrestles at a mall in Alabama, teaming up with the Weapon of Ass Destruction to take on Heather Monroe and Raylan. One month after that, it's the first Black Girl Magic show. It's supposed to be Jazz versus Trisha Dora in a dream match, but for unknown reasons, days before the event, it's switched to being Jazz and Trish teaming up to take on Willow Nightingale and Brooke Valentine. Two months after Black Girl Magic, Jazz wrestles for a test of strength in Connecticut. She teams with Angel Orsini, and they defeat Love Doug and Dan Deman. And then, October 16th, 2021, Six months after her second retirement, after she lost her match to Diana and said that her career was over, six months after that, she competes on IWC Super Indie 20, Elizabeth, Pennsylvania, live on Fight TV. Jazz teams up with the main event 
to take on Alashay, Elijah Dean, and Zach Nystrom. To date, that is her final match. And IWC uh, Super Indie is, um, this is in Elizabeth, Pennsylvania. This is one of our local events here. And um, I would have gone to this show, but the weekend before, I had spent a wrestling weekend away from my family, going to enjoy and then rise wrestling. So I had cashed out all of my time away from my family for the month and had to miss this one. Very upset. So at the age of 49, Jazz's final match, trios match, team with the main event to defeat Ella Shea, Elijah Dean, and Zach Nystrom. A real... Something that Ella, Elijah, and Zach can really put on their resumes. Yeah, for real. That was last October. That was Jazz's final match so far. Although, as recently as a couple months ago, she said that she'd really like to wrestle Shutter Flair. So who <laughs> knows what the future holds. As Emily said at the top of the show, re- retirements of wrestling, eh, they're always written in pencil. I do not believe a wrestler when they say that they've retired. I like to think of it as they're taking an extended break until they get bored again. Jazz has said that she will forever take bookings for signings, appearances, and stuff like that. Maybe even special guest referee. She also said that she would really like to be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, especially while she's alive to appreciate it. She doesn't want her kids going up on stage to accept on her behalf. So the thing she wants to be the one there she wants Paul Heyman to induct her, but she doesn't really have high hopes that it'll happen. Well, and I don't understand why. I really don't. Because she was multiple. She was champion multiple times. She was the first woman of color to hold that championship and retain it successfully and have a run with that belt. She was the last WWF champion for the women's division. She was the first WWE women's champion. Like she deserves a place there. She absolutely deserves a place there. She is a, she is a legend of the business that worked in the women's division of WWF at a hugely transitional time for the company. They need to put some respect on her name and put her in that hall of fame. In the meantime, she and her husband, Rodney Mack are currently head coaches at the Dog Pound Dojo out of San Antonio, Texas. They co-founded it with Thunder Rosa and they run it with her. Both of their twin daughters were training in wrestling at one point. Only one of them stuck with it. The other one kind of lost interest. Um, she didn't make clear whether it was Summer or Sky who is still pursuing it. But that daughter, who should be 13 years old now, is apparently all about it. She still trains with mom and dad and Rosa she balances soccer and wrestling practice. At age 13, she's already refereeing for dog pound matches. And she's hoping to wrestle her first match this year at the age of 13. Jess says, that's the goal. And we don't hold anything back. We let her know, just because of who you are and where you come from, you got to work 10 times harder. The door's not going to open easily for you just because you're my daughter. If anything, the people are going to be even harder on you. And being an African-American woman in this business still, you got way, way, way more to prove. As always, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Patreon at Grit Glitter Pod. If you support us on Patreon, you too can demand that we cover your favorite wrestlers on episodes like Living Legends. Thank you so much to everybody who supported us 
this month on Patreon, Alexi, Nancy Todd, Solar Darling, Chad Boykin, John Armstrong, Aaron Carlisle, Evan Minsker, Lars Brown, Jason Norris, and the Wrestling Mayhem Show. Your support helps us keep this show alive, helps us support promotions like Enjoy Wrestling and Wrestlers Lab with your money. We do the show every week for free. Every week. Every Tuesday, new episodes. We will have a future fourth installment of Living Legend coming this fall. Maybe we'll secretly decide among ourselves who deserves that spot. Maybe we'll ask you again. We'll think about it. Yeah. In the meantime, next week on the show, it is Effie's Big Gay Brunch once again.